He pioneered Jets blogging and podcasting. He brought smiles to the faces of Jets fans all over the world. He was there through the good and bad. And then, one day... He vanished. People far and wide wondered, where has he gone? When will he return? Thankfully, the answer is... Now! The OG of Jets podcasting and blogging is back. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. This is There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett. I'm back. The real me. Let's not, not make a whole thing of it. And his co-hosts, Chef Travis Milton. Today we're going to be making the students my tasty baked ziti with basil and fresh mozzarella. And Josh Conrad. Oh, my brother, testify. On Turn on the Jets Digital. Welcome back to There's Always Next Year. I'm your host, Brian Bassett. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. And with me, back from a wonderful Thanksgiving, or maybe partly wonderful Thanksgiving, is Josh Conrad, who you can find on Twitter at Josh underscore Conrad. And Travis Milton, who is probably still dealing with the um, USDA and kind of all the fun of getting his business up and running. You can follow Travis on Twitter at dash 37 board 27. So boys, how was Thanksgiving? Other than the the Patriots, who we'll get to the Patriots in a little bit. How was Thanksgiving? Josh wasn't very far off. I uh, I, I ate tacos. (laughs) I knew this was going to (laughs) happen. I was listening. So I, I, I was listening to the podcast uh, driving to Asheville on Saturday, and uh, I, I almost had to pull off the road. I was laughing so hard. I totally ate tacos. I didn't drink any pappy. Um, I, I had some uh, uh, Black Maple Hill, uh, which is Ooh. actually my favorite whiskey in the world. Uh, but yeah, Black Maple Hill, some tacos, and uh, watched uh, my UVA Cavaliers play some uh, pretty solid college mm-hmm. basketball. So it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, now, when you're talking tacos, are we talking like high-end fancy tacos or just like your standard mom, neon, orange kind of cheese kind of tacos? What, what are we talking about here? I'll let Josh take a guess on that one. Yeah, I'm guessing Doritos Locos Tacos from Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell was not open, unfortunately, but that was my third. That was my first thought. Uh, the, uh, no, I, I did some high-end uh tacos with uh some uh chorizo and uh homemade tortillas and some uh some uh nice nice uh oaxaca cheese so it was it was a little high end that sounds good all right so so uh josh how how do you compare to that did you have tacos did you have like turkey and stuffing and cranberry tacos or what what were you eating in, in new england yeah, no, no tacos in my world, but um, those sound incredible, Trap. No, I uh, so kind of typical uh, Thanksgiving meal um, with with my family at my mother's house. Um, I fry a turkey every year, and so stood outside in, in Connecticut uh, on Thursday was with a wind chill. It was in like the single digits, so I'm standing outside with 350 degree oil and a 21 pound turkey. I, it it was a really good fry, and they got it inside, carved the turkey. Um, and as is prone in my life over my 34 years, I got a splitting migraine. And so oh. spent most of Thanksgiving meal as everyone ate upstairs in a very cold, very dark, very quiet room for about four hours. And then I emerged to be the first partaker of the leftover tray. Um, and so I, I certainly ate my fill 
But yeah, with a with a nice four hour break. Listen, I've got newborn twins. I'll take migraine nap for four hours over non. <laughs> so the, it was a welcome migraine for me. It got me a nice long nap. That sounds sad, but uh, but also right. Uh, a little bit of uh, you know what 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 do the millennials call it? The self care. Got a little self care in there. So yeah, a little self love. A little yeah, a little self care. What, My, uh, what did you do, Brian? Uh, very down the middle of the fairway kind of Thanksgiving dinner, all the very typical sides. Went to my in-laws, and they always do a great job uh, and then send us home with, like, all the leftovers, which is wonderful. So now my fridge is just totally stocked with, with things. But very typical, the the turkey and the gravy and the cranberries and the stuffing. But, yeah, it was good. It was really good. Good time with family and uh, lots of – I ate way more desserts. I've been, I gave up on sugar for the month of uh, – what month is it? November. Um, and so, so like eating a bunch of pie and cake and stuff was, um, insane. My, my, uh, I think I had like allergic reactions like (laughs) next two days. Uh, but anyway, so speaking of allergic reactions, let's talk about, uh, being a Jets fan and watching some of what we saw yesterday with the Patriots. Like it was what I would say. My thesis here is it was an interesting game. It was great to go into the halftime and be tied and say, "Hey, look, you know, eh, I mean, they're actually hanging around. Like maybe, maybe there's something going on here. Maybe you know they'll they'll keep it tight." But you just get that gnawing, terrible feeling of like eh, it's still Tom Brady, it's still Belichick. Like they're gonna figure out things in the second half, and that's essentially the way things played out. And then, you know, the Jets kind of got in their own way. And, you know, they were certainly uh, put at a a disadvantage while McCown had a good game, you know, certainly not having a kind of young whippersnapper like Sam Darnold, you know, throwing frozen ropes or, you know, having missing some of their defensive players certainly factored into it. But uh, I'll just ask you, Josh, when you kind of reviewed the game or watched the game, what, stood out to you, uh, you know, who were some of the players or things that stood out to you? I don't want to so much focus on the typical, like, you know, Lucy, you know, pulling the football out from Charlie Brown over and over again of Jets Patriot stuff. I want to say, like, okay, we're thinking about next year. We don't know who's going to be in play from a coaching or even GM standpoint, but what did you see that you're like, oh, that's interesting, or this could be interesting over the next couple weeks to watch play out because we have to start thinking about what are we seeing in context of 2019? I think hang, hanging around until around the middle of the third quarter, despite a million penalties and not the best offensive line day we've had, it just it just reminds you that it's just some of the little things. And so, you know, this team hang, hangs around with a Patriots team that, you know, maybe isn't putting in all their wrinkles and isn't, you know, maybe putting out 100, 100% effort against the Jets. But um, a team that looked very beatable um, on Sunday, and yet the Jets – kind of shoot themselves in the foot, repeat it all day, you know, thinking back. So even even an early drive, I think Eli McGuire had a first down run and Brian Winters gets called for a holding penalty. It's kind of set the pace for the day that they were just not going to execute to a level that's going to get a victory in the NFL. It, it, it was a day for the young guys, I think. I, I think we can do some some good in-depth conversation about some of the young guys in a little bit between Herndon and Fadakazi getting some run and um, seeing some of the young guys get get a little bit of play. So, you know, I, it, this certainly felt like a let's just kind of pack it in. I think McCown is going to do a fine job, did a fine job um, sitting in for, for Sam Darnold on the day. I don't think any of us were expecting any fireworks, but, you know, a competent NFL quarterback kind of day from Josh. And then, you know, Jamal's comments post game. You know, there's 
To me, though, it just came down to, like I said, just some of the small things that didn't get done properly that win games in the NFL, um, as some of the disappointment. And at the same time, a little bit of hope, feeling like if they can tighten some of these things up, maybe coaching staff changes that, that are probably coming this offseason makes me feel like they do have some of the pieces in place. And if they get a playmaker like a Lev Bell, you know, maybe we're looking at a, a much more competent team mm. uh, heading into next year. Yeah, Travis, uh, one of the things that was interesting to me that uh, I'm – noticed was the movement of Spencer Long from center to guard. Like, what did you see in that or kind of think about, you know, the outworking of of Long setting up more as a guard? Obviously, they had some struggles with him with his snaps in the past. Uh, and then, you know, was it Harris took over at, at center? Like, any thoughts on, on that dynamic? A couple of bizarre things really have stuck out to me with the offensive line, and, and they kind of showed themselves a little bit on Sunday was the uh, the offense works better as a passing offense when they have running personnel on the uh, on the field, mm-hmm. and they run better when they have passing personnel on the field. Um, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. One thing I, I, I did see from Long, um, he, he looks much better as a pulling guard than uh, Carpenter. I think Carpenter's starting to show his age a little bit there. But overall, uh, I thought uh, they held up pretty decent in, in, in pass protection. Some stupid, stupid penalties for whatever reason. They, I don't know if they just didn't if, – if Bates just didn't want to get the run game going, which makes no sense to me considering what the Titans did to the Peyton, uh, Patriots the week before. Um, it, was, it was very confusing scheming and play calling for me from, from looking at it from an offensive line uh, point of view or standpoint. But I thought Long played pretty pretty solid. Harrison had had a really bad holding call, gave up a couple pressures. Uh, Winters did the same thing. It was almost like the, it threw off the the rhythm a little bit of the guys that have been a little bit steady. Shell Shell had a pretty solid game, but again, gave up a couple pressures that you know he typically wouldn't give up. So, you know, I don't know if it's kind of rebooting the continuity of the line by doing so, uh, by putting Long out there or or what, but it, it just seemed a little off, but still a little more solid than it has been recently, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree, because I think there was, you know, all that, you know, erratic play when, when Long, you know, hurt his finger and was, was snapping the ball, and they were, you know, not great. And so I think moving him, taking that, responsibility away from him and right just let him focus on blocking whether it's pass or run blocking you know seem to work well and so i hope that they stay with that uh, at least for a little while and i mean right if they need to give the center more attention as a result like we'll find so be it but right it's it's like it kind of feels like when one thing's going well in one group something else is kind of falling apart in another area and so when i look at this group overall certainly they're not going to have five new starters on this uh on this line next year but i certainly think you know really any of these guys is upgradable as far as i'm concerned like you, i mean you, you could get a better rookie tackle or you could get a better you know uh, veteran guard or you know vet, veteran center or rookie center whatever it is um and i just that is one area that I wish that they had spent more draft picks on in the last couple of years because if you're ultimately playing this game where you're setting yourself up to draft a quarterback, why would they not have been building a line to support that? And they, you know, and so now it's like they're going to be behind the eight ball in trying to build up that group as a result of the fact that they weren't 
spending enough or the right amount of draft picks. Obviously, they were using them on other things that have turned out well, whether it's you know some of the safeties or, or whatnot. But I'll tell you one thing that scares me on that that exact point is I see a lot of similarities to the way the Texans were trying to build yeah. um, back, uh, even with uh, uh, Derek's brother uh, David Carr mm-hmm. um, into post uh, David Carr doing nothing with the offensive line. And who was the scout there? <laughs> oh, good question. I think his name is McCagnan. Yeah. 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 Great point. Great point. And, and so that's the thing that, you know, troubles me and we'll spin it to that in, in a little bit here, but right. I would say some of the other interesting things that I saw, um, Josh, you touched on, uh, the receivers in Herndon. And I certainly think, you know, we saw some good, it's good to see Anunwa back out there. Uh, and, you know, Curse, who I would say both had good days, as long as I think Herndon also had a career-high number of catches. So so between the three of them, they're certainly an interesting group, but again, kind of the same thing where it's like if you get a, a DJ Moore kind of a player or a, uh, you know, I don't know, just trying to think of some rookie High draft, highly drafted person. Like you could, you could basically slot someone in, and I think they could, they could carve out an easy role on that offense in the next year. And so I would say that's another, you know, direction that they need to be thinking about while they have some kind of ham and eggers. And I love Quincy Nunwell. Like, don't get me wrong. Ultimately, like he is kind of your typical X receiver. Like they could use a a better version of Robbie Anderson because clearly Robbie Anderson is not firing on all cylinders this year. And that's, you know, that's been a problem for this offense. I mean, they had that one game where Anderson and um, uh, Darnold seemed to have, seemed to kind of work well together. But other than that, it's been mostly misses from, from Anderson. So, you know, there's, there's areas to grow in, in that group. What about the, the safety? So, so, I mean, I thought, you know, Jamal Adams had an amazing game. Obviously Marcus May was out. He was inactive. Um, just due to due to injury, his I think his shoulder. Josh, when you look at that defense and that defensive group, you know I see a quote like Leonard Williams saying after the game, like we're still legit, um, and beat writer saying no, they're not legit. Um, yeah. What do you think about this defense? Like there are those building blocks, and we've had this conversation before. What what did you see yesterday that you said, okay, this is this is something we could build around? Obviously, you know, having a guy like Marcus May on the field, and it seems like he's. Um, you know, to to maybe most Jet fans, you'd think Jamal Adams is kind of the, you know, for lack of a better term, the point guard of the defense. And yet it seems to be that Marcus May is the guy who's kind of organizing and reading what the offense is doing and, and kind of pushing and pulling guys um, in and out of, of different play calls. And so with him off the field, while they still have Jamal out there, um, some of the younger guys um, in, in some roles, you know, I think um, – we were just talking about it, having Daryl Roberts step into that role um, maybe wasn't the best decision on the day for the Jets. But, um, you know, if, if those two guys can stay on the field together, Jamal and Marcus, you know, that's a really formidable duo. That's playmaking, big hits, um, effective in assisting in the run, taking out tight ends. You know, those those two guys together could be really formidable. Um and yet at the same time, you know, a guy like Mo Claiborne just did not have a, a great day. And so, you know, it, there's ups and downs and there's pieces in that secondary that are encouraging. Um, you know, Jamal's passion, um, he, he sounds like a fan of the team, the way that he talks. Um, most most post games stick with us. So there's better days ahead. I don't know when it's coming, but, you know, we're going to we're gonna be in this and keep fighting. And 
it's hurting us more than it's hurting you. All the, all the things you kind of want to hear um, from your from your team leader, but um, at the same time, it just it just comes down to some execution. And you know what an indictment on on Todd Bowles on a day when the Patriots didn't look super sharp either, um, didn't make any adjustments. Sony Michelle just ran all over them all day. Um, Guys like Jordan Jenkins just kept getting put um, into bad positions and, and having to pick up guys. I remember him getting blown um, to uh, blown by. Uh, I don't know if he was the guy covering Edelman um, on the go-ahead touchdown late in the game, but um, he, he seemingly was the guy that was the closest to him. And so it just seems like schematically, again, we're not putting our guys in the best position to make plays um, while the guys are out there. I think Jordan Jenkins can be a capable player, but you know we're not seeing the scheme or we're not seeing coaching staffs putting guys in position um, to, to be able to do that. And then, obviously, the injury part. And so if Marcus can't be on the field, they have to build depth. I mean, you have to have guys that are ready to step in. Um, and Roberts was seemed completely overwhelmed all day. Um, was not a good day for him. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I, I see the pieces, and then I just don't know who's going to be the guy to kind of pull them all together and make them to the capable group that they could be. Uh, Travis, you, you talked about that kind of Daryl Roberts. Why are you playing him versus, um, you know, other players? And so talk about that and then talk a little bit about, you know, some of the guys that did get, get to see time, like Fadakasi and Muvu. Um, you know, so why, why, why is Daryl Roberts the wrong person to kind of plug in in that situation, that kind of emergency situation? And then, like, you know, what did you see that, you know, from, right, the players that are kind of, you know, trying to, had their resume for next year. What did you see? Um, you know, I, I could. Uh, Manish will call me one of those uh, uh, armchair quarterbacks that he's been writing about lately. But uh, you know, one of the <clears throat> sorry, uh, one of the things you know that that I think has stood out to everyone that has watched this team when Terrence, Terrence Brooks has been in the game, he's been. A, a pretty pretty okay, you know, in space, which is, you know, deep safety. That's what you've got to do. Whereas Daryl Roberts is predominantly playing cornerback or nickel, and he's predominantly a, a you know, man-to-man guy. Man, you know, right. he's he, we watch these games, and he's hanging with the receivers. He's not out there in space trying to make things happen and move pieces around. Um, Terrence Brooks is a, has been at least competent at that. And, and in some of those games, as, you know, he's been in at safety while – Brooks was uh, in a corner with with May and uh, Tremaine out for those games. Um, I, I find it very quixotical that you know you're not you're not benching uh, Tremaine Johnson and putting Daryl Robertson in those spots or Buster Screen, Josh's favorite, uh, who had a crap day as well. Mm. Um, I, I, it's it's just like Josh said. You're 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 trying to force you know square pegs into round holes. It seems like it's almost like grasping at yeah. straws. Uh, but some of the younger guys, you know, uh, Fadokasi had some good plays. He got very overmatched on a couple of, uh, of double teams he was facing that, that ended up in uh, either Michelle or White getting a, uh, you know, a, a, a huge run. Um, but, you know, the guy hasn't been in a game all year. You know, it's, these, are, these are some of the growing pains you're going to see from those younger guys. But it goes back to why are you not putting, you know, the pieces that you need in the places that they should go? Um, it really just feels like, you know, Bowles is throwing spaghetti at the wall with these defensive schemes sometimes, and, you know, nothing's sticking. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's the challenge that this team has at this point is we're not seeing things stick, whether it's on offense. You talked about the, you know, the run, the success of the run in pass personnel or vice versa. 
And, you know, we're seeing some of the same things on defense. And so I think that's kind of what makes me think about what every fan is thinking about is what does this team look like in March when it's time for the combine? I think the combine's now in March. Uh, you know, who are, who's going to be there at the combine clocking players and interviewing players and that sort of thing uh, for the Jets? Is it going to be Todd Bowles? I think we can all agree he probably won't be there. Um, and then, you know, will Mike McCagnan be there or not? And so, you know, uh, I would say Rich Semini wrote a really interesting article the other day, kind of heading into Sunday's game. Uh, and it kind of, it was, you know, just a, kind of a junk drawer style article with just a bunch of different topics. And he had in this, in this article, he was talking about, you know, what is essentially, you know, it's a, what, what's the, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that Bowles is going to be gone from this team, but what does McCagnan's role look like for this team next year? Because as far as I think the way he, he says is, you know, according to kind of what, if he's guessing what Christopher Johnson is thinking, he thinks, he says here, quote, I think Christopher Johnson sees McCagnan as part of the solution. Um, and then, but then he adds this, if not, he needs to blow it up and start over. So, uh, so there's this like Christopher Johnson sees McCagnan as part of the solution, not part of the problem. So if he's part of the solution, that would typically typically assume that he'll be there. So, and then the question then becomes who's part of, is he, is the new coach part of his, does McCagnan get to pick his new coach or how does that work? So I guess let's, let's kind of go at this piece by piece. True or false, Todd Bowles is the coach of this team in March of next year. False. Okay. Travis, same? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 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 Todd Bowles is gone. True or false, I'll, I'll say false too. True or false, Mike McCagnin is the GM of this team in, in March of next year. I say true. Unfortunately true. Yeah, and I say unfortunately true too. Um, the only reason I would see Mike McCagnin not being the GM of this team is if there's some sort of series of events that makes someone available that maybe they didn't think they had a shot at. So like the, like the one that I, I kind of posted on Twitter yesterday is there's this theory being floated that Hugh Jackson comes in to take over the Bengals because Marvin Lewis is stepping out of the coaching situation and he's going to move up into a front office role, which honestly like would then free up a guy like Duke Tobin, who is eh, their director of player personnel or something, but he is in all intents and purposes, the GM of the Bengals, that guy then becomes available and in that scenario, I could see the Jets should do any – they should run, not walk, to get a guy like Duke Tobin, who I think is kind of quietly one of the the best personnel evaluators in the in the NFL. Um, but he essentially, because he's the GM of that team, he's not moving anywhere unless there was some sort of external force, like that Marvin Lewis moving into the front office officially would push – so, so like, unless something like that happens, I just don't see the Jets firing him, you know, after week 17. So I, I, I'll, I'm with you guys. So now we'll, we'll try this again, another true or false, and then you guys can give me your thoughts on this. True or false, Mike McCagnin is going to have the coach report to him because currently the, the current coach does not, as far as we know, report to him. So true or false, Mike McCagnin will have the coach report to him next year if he's the GM. True. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say true. I feel like he's gonna have to take a much more active role in the coaching aspect of his job. Yeah, if, if expect any sort of change from this year. And right, if and, and if you're letting him stay, you're essentially saying he's the one who did the good job here. So as a result, like we have to let him see his vision through. And so yeah, any, I don't know, Travis. Any other thoughts about that? Like why why that makes sense? I have one. Oh, it does not make sense. <laughs> the only reason it <laughs> why it makes sense because... to Christopher Johnson maybe is what I should I should yeah that's a great point. Thank you, Travis. Um, well, you, it's kind of like you said, you know, you've got to kind of, if you're going to give him that vote of confidence and you've seen how dysfunctional, uh, you know, the, the, the current dynamic can be, I don't think that you can, you can give him that vote of confidence and say, you know, you're part of the solution. You're here. Uh, we're going to keep doing the same thing and not let you have control over player personnel with the coaching or have the coach report to you. I, I don't think that you can do that. I don't think that it's a good call to give that to him, but I think whoever is there, you know, that should be a, a part of their responsibilities. Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think the other factor here is also Woody Johnson is distantly involved in this organization. And so they're going to need more because he's at a distance. Um, he's, he's going to have to rely on the internal infrastructure of the team to do that. And it would make sense that McCagnan would lead point on that, on that for, for that reason too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, it's not what I want to see happen, but I think it is, yeah, it is what will happen. So I guess my question then after that is where, where does this team go from here? Like, I don't want to fully answer this question because I think I, I would love to kind of play this out next week and give you guys a week's worth of homework assignment to say, okay, you've got roughly a hundred million dollars in cap space. You've got all these draft picks. What's your plan? Because I truly think we could probably come up with a better plan than what they're going to do. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like just high strokes, like what, what are you, what are you trying to spend your money on come free agency and, and, you know, kind of your draft picks from the draft. Are you, what are some of the things that, you, as you look at this team right now, not even thinking about players you're going to cut, how do you add to this team and make it a better team? Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, regardless of how well or how poorly McCagnan does in free agency, there's just not the players that we need. There's not the playmakers going to be out there outside of Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wide receiver crop coming out in, in free agency is, is looks pretty crappy. Um, Offensive line-wise, I don't see anybody that's going to be a free agent that makes me go, holy shit, that guy's going to instantly improve our line. I mean, it's kind of what you said. You know, we're we're just going to be trading apples for apples. Okay, here's a retread, here's a veteran. And, you know, we don't have enough draft picks to to address all these things. And I feel like it's going to be another another run of, of, uh, don't mean to use the throwing spaghetti at the wall, cliche again, but I feel like that's what McCagnan does. You know, it's, it's, you got a couple surefire picks in the beginning and then it's let's trade back in everything and get 15 seventh round picks and, and, and throw everything at the wall and maybe something will stick. It's, it's going to be very, very hard. You know, I think that we, we can get another, we're going to have a draft pick to get another, you know, good young playmaker, but is it going to be somebody in a position that we need? Probably not. Um, are we going to be able to get a, a, a quality wideout that can stretch the field? Probably not. You know, so I think free agency really hinges on if we can get 
Le'Veon Bell and maybe a you know a, a, a quality left guard or and a center that's serviceable. I, I I don't see how we're gonna actually improve this team outside of, of improvement by subtraction by getting rid of, of Todd Bowles. Player personnel wise, it's it's gonna be a tough freaking road to hoe. Mm. Yeah, what what do you think, Josh, when you look at this team, where would you focus on upgrades? Yeah. Um I you know, I think we don't have enough defensive tackles. I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna trade for Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson. I just spit a yeah, cigarette out of my mouth when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go kick the tires on four defensive tackles in the first round this year. Sure. Um, no, I, I, you know, I think, I mean, between the cap space and the draft picks, you know, the debate has shifted on Twitter the last few weeks. If you're part of just kind of following the Jets Twitter um, kind of La Cosa Nostra, if you will, um, you know, th- there seems to be this feeling now of like, what does it matter with all the draft picks and all the money unless you're actually going to turn them into players, which is a very good point. I mean, mm. I don't care about the number of picks. I don't care about the n- number of dollars. I want good decision makers in the room to know that a guy like Chris Herndon, who's not going to be in the first or second round of, of an NFL draft, is now going to be leading all rookie uh, tight ends and receiving yards at this point in the season. Like, I want, I want those types of guys that give you big impact for minimal output so that you can make a really big run at one big chip like a Lev Bell um, or potentially package some things together and go get a proven playmaker, you know, in the slot or something. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit wary of just, well, we have these draft picks and McKagan can make choices and see what happens when the draft falls to him. I mean, they're projected to probably, probably be in the top five. Um, the draft right now is looking pretty defensive heavy um, at some positions where I don't know that the Jets have a, a ton of questions. So, you know, a top five pick will normally land you a very high blue chip player, but if it's not at the positions of need, I mean, the, the ideal there is to try to trade down. Now, you always need someone to trade up, and, you know, all the pieces would have to fall together um, in the right ways. But, you know, if we can go find some of those cheaper kind of guys, guys that are a little bit under the radar, and Nunwa was never, you know, a huge prospect coming out of college. Um, Chris Herndon made waves at the University of Miami, but seemingly fell off draft boards and now is playing very well with two different quarterbacks. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's even just tied to that. I don't know. I, I feel like it's playmakers um, on the offensive side. I think we have to address the offensive line. Um, I think I think we have to find a really great, strong middle linebacker. Um, I'm not sure that we have him on this roster, Mr. Darren Lee. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, if um, just kind of attaching some of the big free agent dollars to some of the positions like that and then just find these later round guys and, and just plug them in. Um, surround them with some playmakers and see if that's a formula that's going to produce a, a playoff team. But, um, you know, if you look around the league, you look at what the Eagles have done recently, you look at um, what the Seahawks did for a number of years with a cheap quarterback with decent talent around them and playmakers at a couple key positions, you can hang around at, at the top of the, you know, the top ten teams in the league for three or four years that way. So, you know, before we have to pay Donald, now is the window in the modern NFL. And if they're, if they're going to make some moves – Now's the time for the front office to really get organized, to really figure out what McCagnon's role is, and then find a head coach who's going to really get the very best out of his play, out of his players, um, with, with some good coordinators on his staff. So, um, yeah, again, all the assets don't matter. I just, I just want, I, the Mike Singletary, I want winners, baby. That's right. Well, I, I'm going to 
blow your mind a little bit. So there's a, there's a concept in management consulting and software development and kind of the world in which I live and they call it the inefficiency trap. And so the idea is for startups, for small businesses, for software products, as you're building things, like you should always start small and then grow progressively outward. And the reason for that is because what you want is you want the feedback, you want to test things, you want to see if things are good or bad. And I'm sure this applies to basically any profession um, or just, you know, things in your life. And you get those small cycles of feedback loops from building something and getting getting the feedback that you then know, like, okay, this was good or this was bad or we made a good decision here or we made a bad decision there, those kinds of things. And then over time, as your team, the team that's building this thing becomes more, they communicate better, they can anticipate each other better as they, uh, you know, they, they know, they, they learn from their mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera you know, you create, you kind of create efficiencies. And then once you create those efficiencies, that's when you scale, like when you have an efficient system, that's when you scale a system, right? Because if you scale, obviously, if you scale an inefficient system, what you're going to get is a scaled inefficient system, right? And so when I think about this Jets team and I think about Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles or whoever the coach is going to be next year, some of the players, what I see is, Okay, I see a GM who, yes, he was named GM of the year for probably bad reasons in 2015, his first year, but has essentially shown me cycles of inefficiency, of bad feedback, bad results, bad process. And so now we're in a place where they're going to have another high draft pick. They're going to have high draft picks, um, you know, in in next year's draft. They're going to have a ton of cap room uh, to go out and spend on things. And what I see is an inefficient team with bad process that we're about to scale, right? We're going to scale it to $100 million in cap space, and we're going to scale it to a number of high draft picks, um, which have been kind of hit or miss at best. So so that's what my whole thesis is about why this is the wrong people to run this team going forward. Um, and and I don't know, maybe they're learning lessons, and maybe they've they've kind of secretly hit hit that in, that efficiency, but I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. Um, and so, so when I look at this team, that's what worries me the most is we're now going to get, we're going to scale, we're going to add money and high draft picks to someone who has a bad process. And now we're going to be another four or five years down the road, and we're just going to be back here again in five years. Uh, yeah, and let's, let's not yeah. forget, though, I mean, with the high draft, I mean, obviously they'll have a high first rounder. They don't have a second rounder. That's right. the, that's the Good big point. Leave up to the Colts. They, they do have the, the two third-rounders from the Teddy Bridgewater trade to the Saints, but that's most likely a low third-rounder given the mm-hmm. Saints' record. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking one pick in the top five and then, you know, a, a pick near the top of the third round and a pick near the bottom of the third round. So, you know, if they're relying on, on that and, – and listen, I don't know that – I mean, right now, it, the last two years felt like the years to build through the draft. This coming off season feels like right. this is where you go – free agent playmakers to sprinkle in to those guys that had a year or two or three to get used to playing in the NFL, partner them with a guy like Sam Darnold, and, and then you just roll it out and see what you got. But you're right. we got to figure out who the decision makers are first. Right. I mean, and, they, and you think about it, they passed on Pat Mahomes. They passed on, you know, I don't know, other players, Jared Goff. I'm, I'm forgetting I could go back and di- yeah, diagram it all. But, like, you see the players they missed on – for the players that they took. And I'm not saying I don't love Josh Adams or Jamal Adams, excuse me, 
but um, but you see the upside of other players they could have had, and you're just like, oh man, what are you doing? So anyway, so speaking of what are they doing, let's talk quickly about what are they going to be doing this weekend when they head to the Music City to take on the Tennessee Titans. Um, my high-level thoughts here are the Titans are a marginally better team than the Jets. I mean, they've obviously had some impressive games, like the one against the Patriots last week or you know, two weeks ago at this point. Um, and they've had a couple other moments, but mostly it's been a rough year. I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, a breakout offense kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> Marcus Mariota freed from the exotic smash mouth system into, you know, a, a system that's going to suit him better. They bring in, uh, Dion Lewis. Uh, they, they have Corey Davis in his second year, who's kind of showing all the signs except for the statistics of a of a breakout and you know this team looked ready to launch back in you know July August September uh, early September but you know obviously it's been a misfire but I have to think a lot of it comes down to Marcus Mariota and his struggles with health his kind of elbow and uh, the nerve damage and stuff he, he received and then he had a stinger the other the other week so when you when you think about this team, gentlemen, like, are, do you think the Jets have a a chance, or how do you see this game going? I kind of zoned out after you said "Smash Mouth." I got that yeah. song "All Star" stuck in my head. <laughs> hey, now you're at all. <laughs> so great, freaking Smash Mouth, the guy Fieri, the guy Fieri of the music world. <laughs> that is the best. I had never thought about that, but now that you say that, that is exactly who they are. They I are think they actually exactly. did a cookbook together. No, no, no bullshit with uh, oh Sammy Hagar as well. <laughs> and he that has makes, the same hair. <laughs> so that, that makes Smash Mouth the Guy Fieri of the culinary world. Yes, yes. Now you've blown my mind. Now you've absolutely blown my mind. All right, I, I'm sorry to, to derail, but I, I always it just I always, in there. No, that's good, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with this thread because like I always know I'm going to hate a place when my like when my father-in-law says something about how Guy Fieri you know went there, and I'm like, okay, this place is gonna be terrible. Donkey <laughs> <laughs> <Talkie> sauce. Flavor <laughs> town. Yeah. Um, so one 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 thing I, I see that they're you know I don't I don't think we've played very well against RPO teams uh, this year and and Tennessee is definitely an RPO team. You've got a coach that that uh, knows the Jets pretty well in Mike Vrabel. Um, uh, I don't see it going good. We're not playing good against the run right now. I'm 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 actually debating on if I want to go to this game or not since it's in Tennessee. Oh man, not a far drive for me, but. Uh, I kind of don't want to because I, I don't see it ending well for us. If they were semi-relevant, like, I know you would be in the car and you'd have your bag of Doritos and your uh, and your Skittles. Flaming Hot and, Cheetos, baby. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Your Flaming Hot Cheetos, and you would be, you'd be rolling to Nashville. You'd be I'll rolling pick up Lane Kiffin on the way. In his, in his uh, convertible to Nashville. But, but because they're not great, I understand. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do what? I'm going to drive how far? I'm going to spend how much money to do what? to then sit in the car for, you know, whatever, however many hours on the way back and just hate myself. Like, yeah, it's not worth it. I hate yeah. myself enough I don't need to drive to Nashville to, to remember that I hate myself. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I kind of, right, I look at this team. They're, if Marcus Mariota is healthy, I think this team could actually destroy the Jets. 
Um, having said that, I also think this is one of the last remaining games for the Jets to get a win um, as they kind of close out the calendar. I mean, there, there's a couple here and there, and this is one of those, like, I don't know, litmus test kind of games where it's like, yeah, they might, but they probably won't. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if they get a win. But on the road, struggling, losing five straight, bowls and the rest of the, the coaching staff in disarray, you know, they're obviously shutting down players who maybe would play if the if they were at all competitive. Like I'm guessing like Marcus May probably plays if this team is at, at or above five hundred, but he doesn't play because they're like, well, we're not going to risk it. Um, uh, so, so I look at this game and I'm like, I just, I don't see how they they have a puncher's chance, but I, I don't, I don't know that the Jets are going to really do much in this game. Um, and I think if Marcus Mariota is healthy, like it's it's already over. Like this game is already over for for the Jets. But they're not that great of a team so far. So it's really hard to say. But um, I don't know, Josh. Any thoughts on this game? Yeah, um, you know. Nashville has a lot of really great restaurants. Uh, there are plenty of other, you know, if I was a Jet fan who maybe lives in Nashville and bought these tickets in the off season, excited to see young Sam Darnold roll into town, I might trade those straight up for a reservation at Husk and just go hang with Sean Brock and eat some great food and drink some good bourbon and hang out. This game is going to, it's just, it's got all the makings of boring, right? Like nothing feels inventive. This feels like a 13 to six kind of like, let's just, neither team wants to probably risk injuries or do anything that's going to hurt anybody. Um, I think we're already seeing from Todd Bowles. I think this per- defensive performance Sunday was, it was just the final, the final nail in the coffin mm-hmm. that, you know, on a day when the Patriots aren't even trying their best, we still can't do anything competently on the defensive side of the ball. Player personnel was just a weird, weird scheme all put together. So I don't know. This doesn't feel like I'm already looking to figure out what else I'm doing in addition to having. Like, this has been relegated to like a Reddit thread on my phone while I sit and do something else with my family. I just do something. Like, we might go to Christmas trees and like, you know, wander around and have this like in my pocket and look at it every five minutes. You're doing some hardcore second screening uh, as, as if you, if at all possible. So, uh, in other yeah. breaking news, you might not see Sean Brock at at Husk anymore. Is that right, Travis? That is correct. Yes. Uh, um, I don't know if you can. I don't know what you can or can't say, but if you can, if you can. Oh no, he's uh, opening up his own place uh, in uh, in uh, in Nashville, Appalachian themed, uh, kind of like what I'm doing. Um, so it's it's uh, good to have have. Uh, a really good friend doing something similar where uh, we've, we've been bouncing a lot of ideas off each other. We're actually doing a, a little trek through Appalachia to, you know, get a little bit of inspiration and some, some research and development here soon together. Um, but no, he's, he's doing great. He's hanging out, playing guitar, um, having a wonderful, wonderful little bit of time off while he's building this restaurant. So two, two questions. Number one, when is this Appalachian trek happening with Sean Brock? And then number two, can I be your personal ballot for, for said trip? <laughs> um, quite possibly. Um, I, I think it's actually going to be in about two weeks. We've been, oh. we've been struggling to, to kind of get everything together with, with uh, each other's uh, schedules right now because we're both kind of all over the place uh, doing events, this, that, and the other. Um, he, obviously, he's busier more than you. He's busier. Yes, he's obviously much more, uh, much more famous, much more notoriety, and much more 
uh, in demand, but uh, we've both been just trying to figure it out. But I think it's going to be in the next couple of weeks. Tra- Travis won't Travis won't brag for himself, so I will. And then, sorry, Josh, I know I cut you off, but he uh, when when Brock was changing over one of his restaurants in Charleston, he basically invited invited Travis down to consult with him on the menu. So. So just just saying, just saying. This is who you're talking. This is who you're listening to, listeners. Uh, sorry, Josh. Our, our, our boy is big time. I don't even know that I want to be a personal ballot. Can I just get like the invite for the two a.m. Waffle House runs? Because those would be. <laughs> well, luckily, since he does, since he doesn't drink anymore, they won't be two a.m. It'll be more of the uh, like ten a.m. in between breakfast and lunch, stopping nice. to get a pork chop. Nice. Um, uh, well, I, so it sounds like we're dubious that the Jets are going to, uh, scoop out a win here. And so you're better off hitting up some restaurants in Nashville. So if you're going to the game and you're listening to this Nashville hot chicken, Travis, what's the best place in town? Uh, uh, you gotta go to, uh, you gotta go to Prince's. I mean, Hattie B's is pretty okay, but you gotta go to the source. Okay. Prince's. What are what's one other place? What's one other solid restaurant that isn't like a Dirk Bentley bar that people? Oh, sweet lord! Um, there's so many. Um, Catbird seats, amazing. Um, little pricey, little hard to get into. Um, um, go to uh, uh, Arnold's for lunch. It is one of the most famous meet and three lunch counter kind of places still around. Uh, it's amazing. They're only open. Well, actually, you can't because they're only open Monday through Friday. Um, Okay. How about I don't know. You can you can pretty much throw a stone and find a good beer. Best nine a.m. beer in Nashville. Where where are you gonna get the best nine a.m. beer? Wherever I'm staying at. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, if if (laughs) follow Travis on Twitter because if he's going, you you definitely want to be eating and drinking with him. Um, Best two a.m. beer though is Roberts Western World. You can get a PBR and a bologna sandwich and watch an amazing honky tonk band. it's awesome. But okay, now are we talking fried bologna or just yeah, like dude, regular? fried bologna sandwich? Okay, okay. fried bologna sandwich, PBR. I'm thinking like white bread with like a little bit of mayo. A hundred percent. It's Wonder Bread. You can get yeah. They don't put any mayo on there, but you can get mayo on there. Um, that's why I keep Dukes in my. Uh, I keep those little packets of Dukes in my uh, travel bag. <laughs> that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. That's a good. That's a. Uh, that's a veteran move. Um, this is this is totally devolved, but just so people in the north know, <laughs> Sorry. Um, fried bologna is like Taylor pork roll, but with bologna. So just, but eat it fried. It's it's actually it's great. It's great. Uh, drunk, greasy food. So and newsflash, uh, I can buy a Taylor pork roll down here now. It was oh amazing. God. I bought some like a week ago. That is amazing. Um, hey Josh, I just want to let you know something. So I just went to Walter Football to check what their mock draft says for the Jets, who have the fourth overall pick. Um, with the fourth pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Derek Brown, defensive tackle, Auburn. Of course. Listen, <laughs> we, we are the first the first place. I mean, every defensive tackle in the league has to have a, has to have a swing uh, through, through yes. East Rutherford Jets. It's, right. it's contractually required. Leading, leading the league in high defensive tackle uh, drafts. Yes, absolutely. Well, okay. I think that's it for us. Uh, we've definitely, I've kept you guys too long. Thank you. Um, if you are going to Nashville, uh, have a great time. Enjoy it. It is an amazing city. Uh, if Travis is there, be sure to check him out on Twitter and I'm sure you can get on the stream and slide in his DMs and, 
uh, grab a bologna, fried bologna sandwich and a PBR with him. You can find Travis on Twitter at dash 37 board 27. And Josh, I hope you don't get any more migraines, uh, watching this game this coming weekend. Uh, and you can follow Josh Conrad at Josh underscore Conrad on Twitter. I'm Brian Bassett. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you all next week. I hate Smash Mouth. Guy Fieri forever. <laughs>